Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo, and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre, and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips, and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story, or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Michael White is the author of the best-selling novels Equinox and The Medici Secret. His latest book is The Borgia Ring. He is also the author of the E-Force books, which are published under his pseudonym Sam Fisher. The latest Sam Fisher novel was also published this year and is called State of Emergency. Michael has a long and distinguished science writing career. He has written over 20 non-fiction books on subjects as diverse as The Science of the X-Files and Doctor Who, The History of Science and The Lives of Some of Science's Greatest Heroes. He is also a biographer and has written biographies of C.S. Lewis, Isaac Asimov, Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein, just to name a few. His biography of Leonardo da Vinci became the fourth best-selling book in the UK in 2000 and has has since been translated into 18 languages. He has been shortlisted for the Aventus Awards twice, the Booker Prize of Science, and in 2004 was made an honorary fellow at the Curtin University of Technology in Perth. He's also a former member of the band The Thompson Twins. So thanks for joining us today, Michael. Well, thank you for having me. Now, you're a very busy writer. Two books published in one year, two very different books. How do you manage to write two books simultaneously? Well, they're, they're not written simultaneously. That's the thing. I mean, they, come out, they came out roughly uh, within a few, well, a couple of months of each other. Um, but what I do, I think it would be very difficult to actually write two books, um, you know, sort of go from one one day and then in the afternoon <laughs> do, do the other one or something. Um, so what I do is I, I spend a few months on, on each one and then I, I get get it to a certain stage and then I spend a few months on another one and then I switch backwards and forwards. But there's, there's a sort of um, order in which they're meant to be delivered. Now, your latest book in the series of the... In, in the series um, of your best-selling novels is The Borgia Ring. Mm, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, well, The Borgia Ring is um, the first in, in what will hopefully be a series of books featuring um, a character called Jack Pendragon, who's a chief inspector in the East End of London. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the area in, in England where I grew up, and um, so I know it quite well, and I, I spent a lot of my childhood around there. Um, and uh, it's, it's another one of my books in which I have two strands. So it's set in the present day, but it flashes back to a point in history which my earlier novels have done. Mm. Um, yeah, this one is uh, it, it flashes back to the Victoria, uh, sorry, to the Elizabethan era, and the plot to assassinate Queen Elizabeth. You seem to have a real interest in history. Is that something that's been with you throughout most of your life? Yes, I, I've, I've always been interested in history. But I, I mean, I was trained as a scientist, um, and I taught uh, science for quite a few years. Um, but I got into writing really by writing um, historical science stuff and um, uh, particularly biographies of scientists so I sort of then veered into history from there and uh, 
got quite fascinated by the Renaissance, and so um, I soaked up a lot of history. And so when it came to writing novels, I wanted to do something that had a historical slant to it. So why did you get into writing in the first place? Why did you actually want to write about the historical aspects of science? Well, um, the, the, the whole um, science thing is, is, um, had a big popular phase a few, you know, 20 years ago, I suppose, or 10 years ago. Um, it's not so fashionable now, but um, a lot of scientists were writing books, and uh, a lot of them were quite inaccessible. I mean, the classic example is... Uh, Brief history of time, which you know everybody pretends they've read, but um, not many people have. And um, I wanted to write something which would really be very easy for people to get into the science. So um, I thought the best way to do that would be through the characters. So I wrote biographies of people like Einstein and Stephen Hawking and Darwin, and uh, introduced the science into it, uh, sort of by stealth, really. And then this year also, you've released State of Emergency, but that's been written as a, under a pseudonym, Sam mm-hmm. Fisher. So can you tell us why you write under a pseudonym? Well, basically because the two books, um, it, it's basically the beginning of two series. So there's the E-Force series, which is the first of which is uh, State of Emergency by Sam Fisher. And then there's the Jack Pendragon books, uh, the first of which is The Borgia Ring. And um, they're coming out roughly within a couple of months of each other. So the thing is that you can't really uh, confuse the public by having too many different books by the same person. So, you know, somebody went into a shop and they bought a State of Emergency and it was under my name. Mm. And then a few months later, they saw the Borgia ring under my name. They would think that it was the same sort of book, possibly. Mm. And uh, so you can't really do that. So, so I created the pseudonym because the two books are so totally different. The two series are so totally different to each other. And how did you come up with the name Sam Fisher? Um, well, it's funny because I, I just made it up and my father's name was Sam. And um, I, I thought, well, most best-selling um, thriller writers or, or action writers, if you like, um, have very short names like Dan Brown. Mm. And, mm. Um, and I thought, well, um, it needs to be something quick and, you know, it's like a monosyllabic name and followed by another uh, surname. And, um, and so I came up with Sam Fisher, which is sort of snappy. And then I discovered that actually there's a character called Sam Fisher who's uh, in a game and uh, a character from Tom Clancy, I think it is. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. I mean, oh, ideal. <laughs> yeah, that's Definitely right. of the right genre. Yeah. <laughs> I interviewed Sydney Bauer and she got her name from Sydney Bristow in Alias and Jack Bauer from 24. So. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that's good. Yeah. Um, now, you published many non-fiction books on science, as we've said, but then 20 non-fiction books before your first novel was published. Why did you decide to transition into fiction after all that time writing non-fiction? Well, I had already, I'd always wanted to be a novelist. And the reason I got into writing non-fiction was because I wanted to be a novelist and I couldn't get accepted. And so I thought that I... I I thought, well, um, I'll write non-fiction, uh, which I enjoyed writing, um, and it'll be an avenue into being accepted as a, as a novelist. And, in fact, I discovered quite quickly that um, it was counterproductive, and, in fact, publishers <laughs> are they're actually suspicious of non-fiction writers trying to write fiction. And, um, but the irony was that I was, an, I was a, uh, a novelist before I was a non-fiction writer. It's just that I wrote absolute rubbish and nobody was interested in it. And in fact, I wrote six novels while I was writing the non-fiction, uh, all of which were rejected, and it was only the seventh attempt that actually worked. And it was the seventh attempt a seventh variation on the previous six, or was it a completely different novel? Well, what I did was I... I 
I sort of gradually learn. I had a very um, shallow learn learning curve. I think um, I'm quite resistant to taking these things in. I think, and uh, I spent years and years writing all sorts of novels, and then I finally realised that the, the way to do it would be to write about um, some, not necessarily something I know about, because I think that's a bit boring. But within the, the, the uh, really writing something about which I was known for. So what I did was I, I started writing this thriller set in the present day and uh, set in Oxford where I used to live for a long time and so I knew the locale. And then I thought, well, what I need to do is uh, have a historical strand, which is what I was really interested in. And I thought I'd create um, a, a storyline, a parallel storyline featuring Isaac Newton. And I'd written a biography of Isaac Newton, which mm. had gone on to be uh, really quite well acclaimed. And um, so that had a double effect in that um, it actually made the publishers believe in my work more because they believed that the public would believe in it more. Right. Follow me. So um, it's all to do with, you know, um, credibility. And uh, they believed that I knew what I was talking about. Probably what I wasn't, but uh, they believed it. And um, so that, that was really a leg up. And it was that, that was a huge, crucial difference. Because I don't really think that that seventh attempt was any better than my sixth attempt. <laughs> the, right, the right sort of subject matter, if you like. So you, as you say, you've also written biographies, mm. a number of biographies. Now, ha- that must be very different because that's very research-based as opposed to, you know, using the creativity and your imagination. So especially with biographers, um, not biographers, um, especially with subjects who are no longer alive, mm. how do you go about getting it right, making sure it's authentic and it truly reflects that person's life? Yeah, well, that, that's, the, that's the difficult bit in a way, I mean, and also the great challenge. Um, you have to do a lot of research. I mean, um, those non-fiction books, particularly biographies, were really three-quarters research, quarter writing time. And, mm. um, and so you have to uh, go back to original sources as best you can. Um, in some cases, it was actually, there was too much stuff. I mean, I did a biography of Leonardo da Vinci and um, <clears throat> treating him as a scientist and looking at his his work as a scientist and engineer rather than as an artist. And um, there was literally just too much. There were thousands and thousands of pages of notes to go through and um, an endless uh, you know, archives and also, of course, all the biographies from the past that have been written about the man. Um, so really, you know, it, it is all research-based, which is very enjoyable, uh, but you just have to control it. You have to say, well, I've only got a specific time period to do this in, and um, I've got to focus in on these things, and you very easily get distracted and, and taken off course. Mm. And now you've had a very um, varied career to date with science, as you've mentioned, your interest in history, your your career as a writer, um, but you were also involved with music and were a member of the Thompson Twins. Yeah. So what do you call yourself when you, <laughs> when you go to a dinner party? <laughs> Busy. <What> you... <laughs> um, no, um, I, I, well, I see myself as a writer first and foremost. And in fact, I, I wrote my first book when I was 10. It was just like a, getting together lots of stuff from other people's books and, and copying things out and you know putting pictures in and things. But it was uh, my first attempt. It was about the space program. And um, I go to my teacher and he was very impressed with it and it sort of encouraged me. But I, I've, I've always considered myself first and foremost a writer. But I, I've also been playing music since I was uh, at school as well. And, and there was a period of a few years where I uh, was a professional musician. And um, so, I, you know, I, I see myself as a writer, but I have a, a serious hobby of, of writing and recording music, which I still pursue. 
And you're obviously from the UK, but mm. you now call Perth home, is that correct? No, no, I live in Sydney now. Oh, you live, so did you live in Perth at some point? Yes, we lived there for a long time. I, I, we emigrated in 2002 and lived in Perth uh, for over five years. And mm-hmm. um, uh, then we moved to Sydney about two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago. So why Australia? Um, oh, the, mainly the weather and uh, <laughs> the outdoor lifestyle and so on. We've got four children and we only had three when we moved to Australia, but um, they, they were very small when they left England. But mm. we had quite a big house and big garden, but they could never go out in the garden mm. because it's waterlogged all the time. And, um, and over here, they've become such, uh, so much more extrovert and outward going and everything into swimming and surfing and stuff. It's great. So tell us about your writing routine. Do you have one? When you've got a book on the boil, do you, you know, have any rituals that you go through every morning when you wake up? And how do you actually get the words out there? Um, I don't have any rituals, really. And, and basically, I'm, uh, well, I'm partly governed by family duties because, you know, as I say, we've got four young children. And so I sort of tend to work around the family times. I don't, you know, have these uh, midnight sessions and working in the, in the small hours because it just wouldn't work with with the family. Mm. Um, I, I work pretty regular hours, but not. I don't work that long each day. Um, I find that um, a couple of hours, two or three hours of writing a day is about the limit because mm. it's such an intense um, process that you know you would wear yourself out completely. And I, and I write quite quickly. Um, if I'm researching, I tend to spend a lot more time each day researching than I would writing. But at the actual writing time, you, you can't really write for more than two or three hours a day, I don't think. Mm. Um, a lot of people, you know, it really annoys me when I say that I only work for two hours a day. But um, <laughs> I think that a lot of people who go to offices, you know, that they spend a lot of time wasted, um, you know, just chatting and yeah. standing around the coffee machine and stuff. And um, it's just one of those things. Maybe it's less intense, but they spend more time doing it. So that's the way I, I feel. So writing nonfiction is very different to writing fiction. Do you have to get into a different mindset or, or something like that when you're writing one versus the other? Yes, well, um, uh, I was always drawn to fiction, and um, I always wanted to be an novice, as I said. So um, I tried um, uh, as much as I could to to bring some creativity and uh, novelistic aspects to my nonfiction. And uh, it used to annoy my editor a lot because you know I used to keep doing it, and then it used to, a lot of stuff had to be cut out because I was going too far, making things too fictionalised, if you like, or too too based on the on the character and so on. Um, <laughs> But um, with, with writing fiction, it's basically the, the, the great attraction for me has always been the, the desire to lose myself in another world. And I just love the aspect of slipping out of reality. It's like a dream world and you just live in a different world. And that's what's always drawn me to it since I was a kid. And, um, and that's still what I enjoy. I love the total immersion in something. And, and it, it's so thrilling. Uh, anybody listening to this who's, who's a writer would, would know that it's a, it's a wonderful feeling when you... Uh, I just lost in, in a different world and suddenly a character turns up you never expected or some twist that you never expected. And it just, you have all these plans of what you're going to write, but it, it always has, takes on a life of its own, which is what I do it for, really. Mm. And when you lose yourself in, in, in those worlds, because they often they are historically based, do you feel you need to, in the first instance, do a hell of a lot of research first in order for that for you to immerse yourself into an authentic world? Or do you just let yourself go there and fill in the bits of research later? Um, no, I, I, I've been very lucky in a way because um, I've 
I've gone into fiction after having done all those books, all those non-fiction books. And, and I remember doing an interview in a British paper for when my first book came out, the first uh, novel came out, Equinox, and um, saying that I couldn't have written it, written it if it hadn't been for all the non-fiction that I'd written. And I still think that's true. And, and I've been very lucky in a way because I've got all this uh, stuff in my head from, from all those books I wrote. And, uh, a and, hell of a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it, and it really helps. I mean, obviously, I've forgotten a lot of it. But um, when it comes to setting something, say, in the Renaissance, which is, say, the Borgia Ring, um, I found that I knew a lot of things that I'd forgotten that I knew. And um, mm. it didn't really take a lot of research just to, to, to tidy things up a bit and then to refresh my memory and find out a new new bits and pieces um researching modern stuff is actually harder in a way because with the internet um you can research historical stuff quite readily mm-hmm. but modern stuff's harder i mean um with the borgia ring and uh, the medici secret which was a novel before um <clears throat> i had a huge misfortune to have to go to venice and florence and um <laughs> and the reason Damn. i went there <laughs> the reason was not not to find out about the 15th century or 16th century it was to find out what the what the price of a cup of coffee was or mm. what a what a traffic warden's uniform looked like or where you could park and where you couldn't park and that sort of thing mm. um and and actually those sort of things you can't find from the internet so you have to that's modern research um but Finding out about Queen Elizabeth or uh, the first, or um, or about uh, the Catholic conflicts in the 17th century or something, you just you know you use a mouse to find that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a mixture, and, and I've been very lucky with that uh, in the past. I'm, I'm now writing the second uh, Pendragon book, which is set in um, the historical strand. is set in the 1880s in the East End and involves Jack the Ripper. Mm. And um, I didn't know anything about Jack the Ripper, really, or about that period. So I'm having to do more research for the the one I'm actually working on now than I have in any of the other novels. So you're obviously writing um, that one at the moment. Mm. What else is on the boil? Because I have no doubt there would be more than that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I've just delivered the second um, E-Force book, the follow-up to State of Emergency. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what I did with uh, the the current two that I'm working on um, is that I... I did maybe the first 100 pages of the second Pendragon book, um, and then I left it, and then I spent about four four months writing, four or five months writing the second E-Force book, which I've now just delivered. Mm. And now I'm going back to carry on from the first 100 pages of the second Pendragon, and that will take me up maybe till about February or March. And, um, and I don't have anything organized after that, so um, I'm hoping that my agent in the next uh, few months will be getting things rolling i've got i've got to get some new ideas together and get something else rolling for the next two books so uh, did you do that on purpose write the first hundred pages and sort of lift yourself hanging so that yeah, you had this yeah. thing to go back to absolutely yeah i did it on purpose it, and, and it's a very uh, useful thing to do um it's useful on a, on a smaller level as well um it's always good to um leave something hanging um in your writing on, on the day when you're finishing up so that you can come back to it the next day and you want to you read through it and you want to just carry on from where you left off. It's a bit like the old Saturday morning pictures, you know, where they left cliffhangers. cliffhangers and you have to give yourself cliffhangers. So I, um, I did that deliberately because I, I thought, well, if I don't do anything and then I go and deliver one book, I've got to actually sort of start afresh from the beginning of the second book. And um, that's so much harder. At least I've got like sort of 100 pages of stuff that I feel mm. like I've actually got stuck into it already, you know. 
Well, that's a very practical technique. So would it be safe to assume you don't really suffer from writer's block? Because judging by your body of work, uh, <laughs> you, you mustn't. <laughs> no, I occasionally do. Um, I mean, I, I don't believe in writer's block as as a as an idea, really. I think that it's um, it's it's been glamorized and, and, and I think that some very wealthy writers might get <laughs> writer's block because, you know, they, they have too much time and they don't have the pressures or the, the hunger anymore to, to, do, to do things maybe. Yeah. Um, but every now and again I get, I hit really awkward patties where I just can't um, figure things out and, uh, and, I, and I get in a bit of a state because I hate not being able to work it out. And... Um, and so I, the best thing to do then is to stand back from it and, and take a couple of days off because you find that your mind relaxes and then the ideas start to come then. Do you have any interest in exploring other writing genres? Um, I don't know whether there are any left, are there? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I've, I've been thinking about it um, occasionally. My kids always say to me, write a children's book. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know whether I could really. Um, I... I I think it's for mindsets, you know, and and I think that uh, you have to have a certain type of mind to write children's books, and I just I don't think that's really me. I've been thinking about um, sci- pure science fiction um, stuff uh, because I, I was really into science fiction when I was a, a teenager, mm. and in my early twenties, and I did a biography of Isaac Asimov years ago, and um, and I and I, but I haven't really kept up with science fiction as such, but I've been thinking about maybe a science fiction um, sort of epic family uh, story, you know, going from the present day to several thousand years in the future and following through the space, uh, the evolution of space travel through the family. Well, that's your next 15 years sorted out then. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right, and finally, what's your advice to budding authors out there who are listening to this and thinking, you know, I'd, I'd really like to get my first novel out there? Uh, don't give up. Um, I know it's very uh, glib to say such a thing, but it, you can't. If you give up, you don't have a chance. Um, believe in yourself um, and think big. That's, I think, probably the biggest uh, piece of advice I can give to people is don't think in a small way. Think in a big way and think about the world and think about getting an agent in London or published in London rather than just thinking in that sort of small parochial way that some people do. Um, but that's the, in a practical sense that the way to do it is to go via an agent, not through a publisher, because publishers don't read work anymore. And in fact, many agents don't anymore, but there are a few that do. Mm. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.